Welcome to Theosophia, platform for women's voices in theology. Today on the podcast, I welcome my dear friend, the Reverend Professor Amy Violet. Amy is a preacher, professor, entrepreneur. She's a certified life coach, former NCAA track and field athlete for Belmont University. She started six companies before the age of 30. She's a member of the Academy of Homiletics, Society of Biblical Literature, and Academy of Preachers. She's a professional songwriter and actor, most recently on the show Nashville. Amy holds an MDiv from Baylor University. She's an adjunct faculty member at Belmont University in the College of Theology and Christian Ministry. She was ordained to the Gospel of Ministry on August 13, 2017 by the First Baptist Church, Decatur, Georgia. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and Santa Fe, New Mexico. She's also the founder of the Church at the Lipstick Lounge in East Nashville, Tennessee. Y'all, this woman is busy, and she is on fire. I cannot wait for y'all to hear about Amy Violet's life. Welcome, Amy. Okay, Amy, you came in today. This is my first in-person interview, so thank you for coming all the way to Oklahoma to spend time with me. I feel very honored and very privileged. What do I owe the pleasure of you coming in town for? Your podcast, girl. It's not why you came in town. What what do you mean? I mean, I'm driving through town, and I stopped. (laughs) I mean, and I stopped, and I slept at your house last night, but besides that, I mean... What's cool about Amy is that she li- you're living in New Mexico, but you're living in Nashville, and you have this double life going on mm-hmm. that's very fascinating that I think everyone should know about. Okay. So let's back up, though. Sure. You're from Knoxville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. the great state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And we met right after I left Nashville because you were just moving to Nashville from New Mexico where you had um you were in charge of a ranch, right? You were doing retreat type stuff. I was ranching. You were ranching. Let's not get into that first. No, let's you grew not. up in Knoxville and then you went to college at Belmont for undergrad. You ran track. Uh-huh. And then what have you doing what did you do after that? I went to Baylor for seven years. Wow, that's right. Seven years in Waco, Texas. <sighs> Got my MDiv, Masters S- of Divinity. Seekum Bears. Sikkim, not Sikkim. Oh, seek my em. bad. <laughs> Sikkim. Sikkim, Not seek them, but yes. I never cared for the Bears of too much. Of course you don't. You're from Oklahoma. Mm-mm. Boomer Sooner. What does that mean? The University of Oklahoma. Okay. So mm-hmm. you did your MDiv at Baylor. Yep. But why did it take you nine years to finish? That was Seven. Long. Seven years to finish. Yeah, it shouldn't have taken that long. Well, yeah. there was a huge trial. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. Yeah. That w- that set me back. Then I got a divorce. Yeah. And I had to retake some classes. Yeah. And they changed my program, so I had to take some more classes because I was there too long. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've learned a lot about trauma and the brain and how your brain works in trauma. So mm-hmm. trying to retake courses that... I was taking during specific times in my life. It felt like a loop. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, um, so you picked Baylor, I assume, because you're Baptist and you grew up Baptist. Incorrect. Oh. You want another real story? Yeah. So I was working for Lifeway for like eight East summers. Oh. I did backpacking. Okay, you can't see this, but you just try to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in Kentucky backpacking, and this woman that was teaching our training um, was from Baylor, and she asked me to be her graduate assistant. And I said, where's Baylor? And so she said that she would pay for my master's if I would come down and be her GA in the outdoor adventure program. Oh, that's cool. So I actually went down for a I job. about that. Yes. Yeah, so I did outdoor adventure, rock climbing. I ran trips, mm-hmm. um, which was really, really fun. So, But you grew up Baptist. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah. But it wasn't, I didn't know about Baylor. It wasn't like my dream school. Yeah. But it was the one where I could go for free. Did you go with the intention of being a pastor is no. that what you, what did you want the degree Youth for ministry. oh I just wanted to work like oh. because kind of the backstory was that the people at Lifeway had told me that if I go get my MDiv I could come back and work for them so to me it was just a means to an end to go get this degree and then okay. run back to Nashville so you were just ordained not too long ago last year last year in the which Baptist convention uh, cooperative Baptist Convention. The cooperative. So the Southern Baptist is what I grew up in. They don't think women can be preachers. Right, that's tough. The CBF, which is the Cooperative Baptist, do believe women can be preachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's an alliance that do believe all those things, and they're open to LGBT. That's so, cool. Yeah, it's a, unfortunately, it's a smaller group of Baptists. Sure. Um, but... Those are kind of, and it's not like I signed a document that was like, I'm Southern Baptist, and today I'm Cooperative Baptist. Right. It's kind of, Baylor aligned more with the BGCT, which is the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and then they aligned with the CBF, so it's been a bit fluid. Yeah, the Baptists have a lot of different things you can do, Yeah, which is cool. But so what, when did the shift happen where you're like, hey, I'm good at preaching, I'm good with people, mm-hmm. maybe I have gifts to be a pastor, when did that happen? I've always been good with people. I'm not in like a conceited way. I don't mean to say, but it's just I've always, I feel like people have always come to me and, and shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of attribute it honestly to, I've had a stuttering problem since I was a kid and had to go to speech therapy. Mm-hmm. And I just became a really good listener. <laughs> Even though you think I'm not and I'm a terrible communicator. And I could always just kind of like an empath. I could just feel um, people's energy. I could kind of feel without having to say a whole lot and when I was in third grade, I remember sitting on the playground with my teachers, and they would just share things with me. So I wasn't running around playing with the kids. I was just listening. And why would a teacher tell a third grader, you know, about their life mm-hmm. and divorce? But I've always felt kind of a pastoral presence with people, which I didn't know what to call that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as being called to preach, for me, calling, and we'll get to this in a minute, but it's been kind of a layering upon, because I became a Christian when I was seven, and I love that story because all the kids at the vacation Bible school were going down front and, you know, doing this whole thing, like groups of them. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting back in the pew and be like, they don't know what they're doing. But then that night, I remember I went downstairs and my mom was doing laundry and I said, you know, I want to become a Christian. I need you to pray the prayer with me. And she's like, uh, okay. I mean, you know, I sort of like stumbled around. How, old are you? How did it? Seven. Okay. So, but so for me, people say oh well, you're so young you couldn't have possibly known what you were doing I absolutely did mm-hmm. and so but for me it was like a call to become a christian and then it was a call to youth ministry and then it was a call to pastor and that one came not like a like i didn't get a booming 
voice from heaven that said, you're going to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. But it was something that just felt right, like a jacket that you put on. You're like, hmm, you know, this feels good. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was in a pastoral, what's it called, life and work of the pastor. And they said the work of a pastor is to protect, lead, and care for the flock. And I thought, that's what I do. Yeah. I do that. Right. So it was just um, because growing up, pastors are men in gray suits that are boring, you know, <laughs> and I was like, I don't do any of that. And Mm-mm. so anyway, I was in, pre- you have to take preaching one at Truett, which is the seminary at Baylor. And I tried to get out of it. I was like, I took communication in college. Can I just, and they're like, no, you have to take it. And I remember being so stressed out, wanting to get out of it. And after I preached, my sermon was on Mary and Martha. And at the end of it, our professor, you know, you come down front and you sit and they evaluate you like all your students in the class. And then they actually come and talk to you. It's very scary. And Joel Gregory was his name, and he said, do you feel called to preach? And I said, I don't know. And he mm. says, I think you should reevaluate that. Ooh. And it was just really nice because, mm. to me, communication and talking has been really hard for me, and mm. that sermon was really hard for me. Mm. And I just was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be done. It'll be 12 minutes, and I'm out. And then I took every preaching class Truett had, and mm. then I became part of their Lilly Grant and mm. started doing, we called it the Preaching Coach Program, is where an upper-level preaching student would mentor an undergraduate Mm -hmm. or like a first year student Mm -hmm. and I did that for three years and then the work I'm doing at Belmont now I got the job because I'm an alumni but also because of the work I was doing with that so now I coach uh undergrads that are like 18 and 19 I love that which is super fun yeah I think that's awesome they're super fun I think we should have more programs like that for young female female leaders who either want to be a leader in the church or the communities or want to be clergy right Mm -hmm. Having more women um, do things like this. Because I had a kind of, an, well, my opportunity was the Arcus Grant, where I got to go. That's why I thought about seminary, or not seminary, being a, a clergy. Because mm-hmm. I got that grant to be in a church for two years working on LGBT issues. So St. Anne's? Yeah, St. Anne's. <clears throat> and I was mentored more directly by a male, an African American uh, man who was fantastic. But also the the female priests at Vanderbilt were definitely my mentors. And so I I had a nice balance. But having that one-on-one was great with Father Mm -hmm. Rick. So, But to have a a female presence, I think, is so cool. And you're referring to Becca Stevens? Becca and Lissa. Okay. Yeah, they're both awesome. They both really walked with me a lot. And all the other awesome women priests and pastors and folks at Vanderbilt. You know, I want to say one thing about that. It's so nice that you get that because at my school, where I, you know, there's two female pastors, yeah, total, and yeah. they don't teach preaching, yeah. So all of my mentors, direct mentors, have been men, yeah. you know, white men usually. Yeah. Um, and then I've sought out, and I feel like that's a cool part of my story is that mm-hmm. I have sought out different people mm-hmm. in different denominations to learn from, mm-hmm. and even if it wasn't. You know, we sit once a week and we talk about what I'm doing. And, you know, it's it's been very intentional conversations throughout my life. Yeah. And that's been very helpful. And, and I've done that across denominations. Yeah, that's really cool. And what else? I, something that you named a minute ago that I thought was interesting. And what I've heard from a lot of women who I've had on here mm-hmm. that feel the call to priesthood mm-hmm. is being a sort of an empath. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard men talk about that. Not that men can't be empaths, but that... Women feel a different, I guess the way we relate or the way we sense others' feelings or Mm -hmm. presence is significant. Mm -hmm. 
and makes for a great uh, skill set in the priesthood. My God, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes sense that women be priests to me because of either whether it's us being socialized to be this way or how we naturally are or both. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's beyond me why some, you know, like the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't allow women to be priests. I don't understand it. Sure. Well, and, and this is another one of your questions about the biggest issue in the church today, you know, mm-hmm. that I, and I, for me, and again, we can talk about it more, but it's interpretation. It's all boils down to how they interpret the text. Yeah. And they will really hold true that the text says that women should not be preachers. Yeah. And that is, it's not just that they feel like that. I mean, they are looking at the same text yeah. I'm looking at and they interpret it a certain way and I interpret those. Texts. Right. So it's not to me, I'm not like, Oh, I'm just going out on a limb here. And I just want this yeah. to be true. I legitimately look at those texts from Paul. I look at the, you know, I look from the, I, mean, I see it. Yeah. I do not see an oppression in the sense of women cannot be priest. Right. I don't. Right. So, uh, yeah. Another, yeah. So that's kind of, and then the CBF, they, they're big right now into trying to figure out their stance on LGBTQ, mm-hmm. um, what they think. And they kind of want it to be up to the individual churches. Like mm-hmm. everyone can kind of decide. Yeah. Um, which I think is good in some aspects and bad in yeah. others. It feels like where do we stand a little bit, you know? Right. So I, again, I mean, I think everyone's doing as best as they can, but in some ways I think it's not good enough. Yeah. Um, so I want to understand, let's talk while we're on this subject, why don't we talk about how you experience your call to ordained ministry? Mm. Sure. Well, it wasn't, Lightly, it was not something I jumped into. Um, I just got ordained. I'm 32, and I got ordained when I was 31, maybe 31, 32, 31. Yeah, and it was a long, long process. November the 9th, I'm a Scorpio. Didn't we talk about that yesterday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we did. November 9th, you're gonna write that down. You're gonna send me a birthday card. You really, she's writing it down. Let the record show. <laughs> she's writing Well, it you're down. my good friend. I should know when your blame birthday is. Yeah, you should. November the 9th. Okay. Call to ministry. Call to ministry. Again, it's been a layering upon. It was a call to become a Christian first, then it was a call to youth ministry. Oh, that's right. Did we already talk and about then, this? Kind of. Yeah, but I do okay. want to share a quote. I do want to share a yeah. quote with you that's been very important to me, and it's by Frederick Beekner. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so in his book, Wishful Thinking, he has this beautiful section on vocation. And he says it comes from the Latin vocare, to call, means the work a man is called to do by God. And the last part of that, he says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Mm. Didn't Aristotle say something like this? Similar. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, to me, I remember hearing that when I was 18 or 19 and feeling like that's what I want to do. It's like, I want to do the work that's in me to do and also the work that is good for the world. And for a long time, I thought it was just teaching. Like, I just want to be a college professor. Like, I just want to teach, teach, teach. And then I was like, oh, I feel called to preach. What do I do? I mean, it's, and then one of my professors at Baylor said, Amy, it's the same gift. I mean, teaching and preaching, it's the same. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, good. Because to me, it feels the same. And so for me, after I get done teaching my students, I feel like I've had four cups of coffee. I'm like wired. I'm excited. I want to keep talking. And, but it's not just that for me. It's the relationships with the students. It's then they're like, Hey, can we have coffee? And then they tell me about their internship or Hey, they're homesick or Hey, like, and I just feel like that's the pastoral care piece. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, it's both and for me. And, and I'm tough. I'm a tough professor. Like, they have to read a ton. Um, 
And if it's important, I want them to read the Bible, not a book about the Bible. I want them to read the Bible. Right. So our conversations are rich, and I structure my classes in a way that are very intentional to build. So when we get to women in ministry, homosexuality in the church, divorce, when we get to Paul at the end, like we have already established a platform of, of mutual respect. Mm-hmm. So we can have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I tell them I'm divorced, and sometimes they find out. Yeah. Um, and then they ask me, but um, mm-hmm. it doesn't really change how I teach it yeah anyway yeah I I relate to that in terms of how I feel coaching is similar Mm. because it's like teaching right Uh and you're caring for a flock of kids so I've got like 30 kids on the track team I'm you know responsible for and I tell them at the beginning I'm like listen I'm you know I've trained and I am continuing to train to be a priest if you ever need to talk about anything especially after the shooting at Florida happened like I took a moment and was like hey y'all Listen, like, I know this was a disturbing thing that happened mm-hmm. yesterday, and um, just know that we care about you. We're here for you. Please speak to us. We love you, and we care. And so I think being a coach, I feel, and even as an educator, I'm sure you feel the same way, I feel a moral obligation to those kids to make sure I know each and every one of them. I don't have to know them every detail of their life, but they know that they can talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and that's... I think a priestly role, right? One of the things I do is each one of my courses in the beginning, the first two weeks of class, I sit, I meet with every student one-on-one for five or 10 minutes at a coffee shop. Yeah. And they just come and sit with me and ask them how they're doing. And yeah. Because for me, That's I needed somebody, like a professor, That's that I'd huge. be like, okay, one-on-one connection so yeah. that when my life does fall apart or I fall behind in school, I feel comfortable saying, yeah. hey, Coach Smith. like, Yeah, and you set that standard yeah. and you open that door for them. Absolutely. That's huge. And so for me, how you structure your class yeah. in the beginning is really, really important. That's very and, and pastoral. I, yeah, and so it feels really good to me because yeah. I have a baseline of where the students are. So one semester I had a student that from from that time to the end – it was a very different scenario, a very different student. Mm-hmm. And I was able to follow back up with them and get the student the help the student needed. Right. Um, and it was a very serious, but I could, but I had a gauge on that student. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, and you know, no one told me to do that. You know, that's not part of my requirement. It's just, no. it's part of my integrity of being a professor and what I do. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. So anyway, going back to the call, it, it's a natural progression for me is mm-hmm. that it's almost like going to law school and not passing the bar. You know I mean? You yeah, have to yeah, go to yeah, law yeah. school, but to really practice. Yeah. And so I don't, for me, I know I'm a pastor with the certification or with not, you know, mm-hmm. I know that, mm-hmm. but it was important to me to get ordained at the specific church in the way that I did. And that felt felt really good, and I was surprised by how emotional I was. <laughs> I mm. cried the whole way through. I was like, "Whoa!" Well, but, it's, but it, you know, I think I try to be reserved most times. But I mean, I just Lord, I cried the whole time. Mm. It was really my parents were there, mm-hmm. friends drove in, like mm-hmm. professors were there, flowing from Texas. I mean, it was just truly a marking of saying, "We see who you are in this yeah. world, and we acknowledge you." Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're officially living into what. Yeah. You, who you are authentically and the gifts God's given you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard for me because when people say, you know, Reverend Violet, I'm like, who's that? Like, <laughs> you know, but technically, you know, that is who I am, you know. Yeah. But it, to me, a, a title, 
doesn't change it because I know who I am, whether I'm yeah. living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm having a wine with someone, or I'm yeah. here with you, or I'm in Nashville with a student having coffee. Yeah. I am the same. And I try to, that's important to me to try to be the same person mm-hmm. in all scenarios, in all settings. Mm-hmm. So. Well, why don't we shift gears a little bit to, I want to talk a little bit about the bags. I want to spend a lot of time though, talking about the lips, the church at the lipstick lounge, yeah. I think will be great to talk about, but so let's talk real quick about your entrepreneurial stuff. You've been doing, I don't know if you want to talk about Airbnb and the bags, <laughs> but I feel like that is something that's yeah. interesting that you're okay. doing. Um, okay. Just the ways that you've been making money, I think mm-hmm. is really cool. And you're mm-hmm. very, you're a self-starter. And I remember when my dad met you for the first time, when you passed through town the first time, he was like, it was really refreshing to meet a young woman that was making things happen, taking charge of her life and finding creative ways to just make it. Like he just, he thought a lot of you and what you've done. So I just thought that. Well, he's awesome. Let's start. He's a good dude, but he appreciates people, especially, you know, Americans that, you Mm -hmm. know, pull themselves up for their bootstraps Mm -hmm. and just you Mm -hmm. doing something all out on your own. He, He just thought a lot of you. So. Tell everyone, the world, what you've been up to, because I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what people see now is not maybe what they would have seen five years ago. So I got divorced in 2014 and really kind of saw that as my reclaiming of my life. I mean, I reclaimed my last name. Mm-hmm. I reclaimed who I feel like God had called me to be in this world. And it very much is an entrepreneur. I mean, it's someone who... Like, I love business. Even in high school, I was part of DECA, which is this marketing club. And it was the first <laughs> time I got my suit. And, like, I wore my pearls and my heels. Oh, and I, yeah. oh I'd own it. Like, you would just go and yeah. do these scenario role plays about hospitality or something. Mm-hmm. You would get this list of, like, a scenario. And I would, like, read it. And then I would go in and, like, with two people mm-hmm. and role play this. Mm-hmm. And I would win. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, because I could do it. I can mm-hmm. relate to who you are and say, listen, I understand this is an issue. Let's work this out. I'm on your team. <laughs> I'm on your team. I'm and, on your team. And, you know, and I just loved it. So mm-hmm. I actually went to Belmont to do business. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't do it. Ended up shifting to, mm-hmm. to religion. But have always kind of had that through my veins. And... Um, I would say I'm a, you know, pastor, professor, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but I think after my divorce, I remember one of my professors saying, I'm sorry, you're divorced now. And that now has disqualified you from ministry. And I thought, are you kidding? So I'm like, I've gone through this. I've lived through this. I've overcome this trial and sexual assault and gone to count me. I'm like, mm-hmm. and to have someone I, I respect so much say, just because you're divorced. Now forget the circumstances, mm-hmm. forget what happened. I don't care if it was abusive or not, but you mm-hmm. now as a woman are no longer mm-hmm. qualified. Mm-hmm. And I think I took that as a, I'll show you, but honestly, like I really believe God put me on this earth to do this. Right. So I'm going to move mountains to try to figure out how to do it. And yeah. so I feel like, you know, they say the hustle I've struggled. I mean, like with the hustle comes struggle yeah, as well, because it's not like I just graduated and walked straight into a job and made a hundred thousand. It's not the case. Mm-mm. Um, but it allowed me to maybe not make some of the same mistakes. My friends who did that, I feel like I got some real world experience and we're around real people right. instead of just being in this like kind of bubble of the church where everything looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm with musicians, I'm with drug addicts, I'm with alcoholics, I'm with people, real people. Mm -hmm. And it's helped shape to my call and, you know, what I do. Mm -hmm. But anyway, bags. Um, The truth about the bag is I was in Texas. I have always had horses. My leather worker down there for 10 years, 
he is amazing. And I designed a bag because I was carrying this coach bag and then this ratty hemp tote bag. And I needed one bag because I would, that could do everything. So I designed the bag that I wanted mm-hmm. and took it to him and said, can you build this? And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. So I waited a few months, got my bag. And then over time, people would actually stop me on the side of the road and mm-hmm. say, I love your bag. Where'd you buy it? And after 10 people said that, I started saying, well, let me make you one. Yeah. You know, and so it started one at a time. I love it. But what I loved about it is that I got to know the person. Yeah. Jennifer is an airline um, stewardess with American out of Santa Fe to Dallas. Mm -hmm. Met her. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. else does, you know, works at a tea house. Mm -hmm. So I got to know people, which feels very pastoral. Right, I was going to say. (laughs) It's meeting people and whatever and, like, meeting with their kids. I can send them Christmas cards. I mean, so it's very one-on-one. Yeah. And if the if the catalyst for getting to know them is a bag, well, okay, and so that's what we do. So we, I would sit down with them; they would show me what they need, and we would design this bag, and it became one at a time. Mm-hmm. And then probably it was kind of just this thing that happened. And then probably this time last year, I was going through a breakup, and I was like, you know what? This is the time. The bags. I'm in Nashville. I was part of fashion is such a big deal in Nashville. People mm-hmm. love the bags. I had a reporter who wanted to do an interview with me on the bags. I had connections mm-hmm. at different stores, and I thought, well. Never really seen myself as a fashion designer, but I know how to do leather bags. Right. And so that was a very focused, I have one bag Mm -hmm. and got it into the hands of some really prominent people Mm -hmm. and they loved it. And again, when they would get a bag, those people that I had loved their music or whatever, even as Mm -hmm. as a kid, Mm -hmm. reached back out to me, Mm -hmm. thanking me, saying how much they loved their bag. Mm -hmm. So it like created this relationship and to the point where even an artist that was just in New Mexico, I called her and said, Hey... I'm in town. And she's like, please come and see me. My bag's backstage. I want to see you. And like, you know, we're drinking tequila and like at the back of the show. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. it's again, it's one-on-one relationship yeah. with people. So no matter if it's the bags or whatever, yeah. um, it's that. And then as far as the Airbnb goes, I was like, you know, I can't live in two places financially and make it, but I can Airbnb. Yeah. So learning that business on licensing and how to do it mm. and hospitality and taxes, I've learned a ton with Airbnb that's helped me with the bags regarding mm. taxes. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's all business. It's all learning. Mm-hmm. But those things have allowed me to not have to take a salary at a church mm-hmm. or compromise my standards or ethics mm-hmm. and get to preach as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of... The bags and the Airbnb have created the financial means for me to do ministry. Right. And and you know, we talked about this the other night. Like, bivocation is actually a thing that oh, is yeah. happening more and more and more. Yeah. And where it used to be seen as, oh, you, you're not good enough. Like, you have to do, you know. Right. Church is just, you know, it's just not right. what it used to be 50 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. There's not money. There's not, you know. Mm-hmm. So... I feel like I've been able to be more choosy and more specific with the congregation and the church that I've created and for the people that don't feel like they belong anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just creating a place for them to come. And, you know, and so anyway, that's kind of how it all rolls together for mm-hmm. me. And then the acting part kind of just came as another surprise mm-hmm. that led to one thing that led to another. Mm-hmm. And then again, they're buying bags. I'm teaching mm-hmm. one of the guys on the show Nashville's daughter in my class at Belmont. I mean, it just feels very, yeah. Yeah. it all feels the same. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And it gives me hope too, because I don't feel like I'm just one thing. Sure. Right. Like I think I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, you know, I think I have a call to priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart is for service. I want to do something where I'm serving. I don't think I'm, as entrepreneurial as you, but that's why I call you. 
so I can you can help me yeah. be an entrepreneur's fan. <laughs> case, this, this, case in point, this podcast. This podcast. <laughs> case in point. This podcast, I sat down with Amy. When we first met, our first meeting, this is a sidebar, but when we first met, I told you about this idea. Mm-hmm. This was like two years ago. Yeah. Because I've been sitting on this for three years now. Mm-hmm. And I said, Amy, I have this idea. What do you think? Because I knew Amy was good at these types of things. And so we had a really long talk about it. I mean, it lasted all day. We kept, mm-hmm. you know, we had a couple beers and then left the bar and kept talking and had a bonfire and kept talking. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why our friendship is great because we both have different gifts and talents, but also have the same, like, similar things that bring mm-hmm. us together with theology. And you were a former Division One student athlete like I was, mm-hmm. so that that's cool. Um, and you understand that part of my life. But, yeah, anyways, me saying, like, to bring it back, I do. I do think bivocational priesthood is in my future because I don't want to give up coaching because mm-hmm. I, I really love it, mm-hmm. and I, I can never just leave that part of my life. And mm-hmm. and who knows? Like I really think you know, reserve military chaplaincy could be a thing too down the road, and I've been thinking a lot about. So I don't want to be one thing either. I want to do all the things. Oh, you know? It's hard for me when people say, no, what do you do? Yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> How much time do you oh, have? Like, and it kind of depends. I'm like, are they conservative? Are they, I mean, like, yeah. which, which one do I throw in first? Yeah. You know, like, is it like a little, I'm a designer. You know, it's like yeah. very broad or whatever. Yeah. The truth is I'm a pastor. I mean, yeah. I'm a pastor. I have a pastor's heart. Mm-hmm. Like, and so for me, also, the Belmont teaching piece, it's not a full-time gig. You know what I mean? It's right. not a tenured track, mm-hmm. PhD, which has been hard because sometimes I wish it would be, you mm-hmm. know, because I was like, oh, I could just do that. But mm-hmm. I honestly, complete transparency, I think I wouldn't want that. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, if I just did that and I was working on research and yeah, I would not, I, I, everything feeds me mm-hmm. from what I'm doing. And being kind of part-time there gives me a chance to be in New Mexico, gives me a chance to do the church. I don't have to sign documents mm-hmm. or I don't have to say like what I'm, you know, so I feel mm-hmm. more freedom, mm-hmm. but out of everything I do financially, the Belmont piece is the one that pays the least. Mm-hmm. And it probably takes the most time mm-hmm. for me because like, like right now I'm going back to teach on Tuesday mm-hmm. where if I didn't do that, I could stay in New Mexico and make more money. Yeah. But my heart and sitting with those students yeah. gives me more than any check ever could. Right. And I think if I lost, if I just went business, 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 I would lose my heart. If I was Absolutely. like first class, private Absolutely. jets, you know, no. rich, rich meals. And like one of the, again, this is when I have flown first class and things, I mean, of course I love that. I love the hand towels out before, <laughs> but I lose myself. Mm-hmm. And I know that about myself. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to, like, I have this, I don't know, I'm not wearing it today, but I have this, like, Timex watch. It was, like, 30 bucks from Walmart. And I've also had to watch this thousands of dollars. But I mm-hmm. lose myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the hat and the boots and the stuff is reminding, and plus it truly is who I am, but mm-hmm. it, it is grounding me and anchoring me that I don't fly away and forget. Mm-hmm. So, like, I never fly first class anymore. Because to me, I can't, I mean, I lose it. So I sit in the back by the toilets, you know, it's just, but I get to meet real people. Yeah. And I think when I start seeing myself as an elitist and, oh, I'm so special because I. Well, then people can't relate to you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like if you're wearing a $10,000 watch, Mm -hmm. you know, people know like. Mm -hmm. And truly I'm a big, I love practicality. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my Timex, I mean, it's everything I need, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it is hard for me because I feel like there's a bit of a split market because of the, how much I have to pay for the bags to have them done mm-hmm. dictates the price. Mm-hmm. And so the price of the bags, I mean, it's a very high end elite. Right. It is. Um, it totally is. 
You know, which is hard for me because mm. the average mom raising two kids can't afford it. And mm. that's hard for me because mm. I'm like, I would love to get, I mean, I would give the barn and cattle and everything away to people, but it's right. like, but to me, I'm like, okay, well, what's, do I get them made in China? That doesn't feel good to me. Mm-hmm. Do I cheapen the product? That doesn't feel good to me. Mm. Do I get another manufacturer? That also doesn't feel good to me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how, what do I do? Mm-hmm. But I want that woman to have a bag. Mm -hmm. I want the dental hygienist that cleans my teeth Mm -hmm. to have a bag and a Mm -hmm. clutch. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm in that, like, how do I do this and keep Mm -hmm. the integrity of the product Mm -hmm. and the people who have paid Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars for this bag? Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, but I don't feel like I'm a bag salesman. I don't feel like God put right, me on this earth to right. be like, sell bags. Yeah. And as you said, what did you say last night? <laughs> Saving the world so, one bag at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels horrible to me because, but... Uh, but it's funding your ministry. And I think that's what's really cool about what you're doing yeah. uh, that makes a lot of sense in our day and age. Is like, how else would you get this freedom to go back and forth from Nashville and New Mexico where your heart is and what grounds you mm-hmm. uh, if you didn't have an alternative way to make money that you're still passionate about mm-hmm. um, and keeping your ground in this. I love that. I love how you said, you know, wearing boots and jeans and a hat like keeps you grounded to where your roots and where you're from. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I've been wearing cowboy boots my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I remember not wearing them a lot in Nashville, strangely enough. I hardly ever wore my boots or my hat. Because mm. Nashville's a weird place. Mm-hmm. It's not very... like It's the home of country music, but it doesn't feel country at all. Mm-hmm. So it really took me coming back to Oklahoma and being like, all right, this is where I'm from. This is who I've always mm-hmm. been. i got to get back to this because this feels right. I feel like myself again, you know? Can I tell you a story about that? Yes. About feeling who you, like who you are? Yeah. So, again, for me, I've always... Boots, hats, I can show mm-hmm. you a photo. I mean, I was a kid wearing... I mean, I've always done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when I was in college, I was working at a record label, student internship. And, again, I'd wear boots and hats. Same thing. And a boss that I had absolutely adored her, and she adored me, and it was just a really great relationship. Well, mm-hmm. towards the end of the internship, I was invited to a party at mm-hmm. just an, another co-worker's house. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had shown up, and I had just been working at the Wild Horse Saloon, where mm-hmm. I was teaching line dancing, mm-hmm. and they knew that. And I was like, okay, I'll swing by on my way home. And uh, showed up, and again, boots and hats, but it was not like Wranglers and a straw hat. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. nice, high-end. Like So anyway, I think it's fine. I actually mm-hmm. got asked out twice mm-hmm. that night by two different people, and I was like, well, that was fine. and went home. Didn't think anything else about it. So I knew this woman was writing a book, right? Mm-hmm. And so after I left my internship, about a year after that, I was in Waco, and the book came out. So mm-hmm. as, as if any of my friends, record drops, book comes out, the day it comes out, I go mm-hmm. buy it. So I go to Books A Million, and I'm, you know, I get her book, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so good, she's so smart, blah, blah. And then I get to this, like, page 112 or something, and it says, the unfortunate intern <laughs> who wore cowboy boots and a hat to a cocktail <laughs> party and ruined the party. Mm. And I was furious. Mm. I mean, like, I, mean, I was in bed, and I was like, oh my god. I mean, I was mad. I was like, what in the world? Because A, she wasn't there. Mm. B... That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. But she, in her book, said that she had heard on Monday morning at the, you know, the coffee bar that everyone was ta- talking about me and how, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much like how I just crashed this party with mm-hmm. I wasn't dressed up enough. Mm-hmm. So I emailed her. I wrote her a thing on Facebook, and I never heard from her. Mm-hmm. 
three days ago, mm-hmm. this is a decade mm-hmm. later, I get an email from her. Mm-hmm. And the title is long overdue, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and I'm like, long overdue a decade. Mm. <laughs> so I, I pulled off on the side of the street. Like, I'm driving in New Mexico, pull off, to read this email. And she apologizes. Mm. And she was like, I was going through some stuff. You, you know, childhood, whatever. You, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Mm. And she said that she has two kids now. And her daughter is a cowgirl and wears boots and hats all mm. over the place. And she won't take her boots off. Mm-hmm. She's like, every time I see her, I think of you. And I just, mm. I'm so sorry. You were so sweet, whatever. And I remember getting that email and thinking, you know, as I'm in my boots and hats again, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking, wow, Mm -hmm. that takes some balls to do that Mm -hmm. after a decade. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I thought was, I don't want to forgive her. (laughs) It hurt too bad. (laughs) Like it was too embarrassing, you know, too embarrassing. It hurt too bad. She totally embarrassed me. And, and, And I feel like, honestly, it stifled my writing because I don't want to write about a scenario and hurt somebody the way that yeah. I was hurt in that book. Right. So I think I've, I've been hesitant yeah. to write. So I, I, I took a few days and I drafted up this email and I said, wow, what bravery it takes to mm. write this. But then I was, I was like, this is how it made me feel. Mm. And then I said to her, I said, but you sending this email have redeemed this experience for me. Mm. And you wanted to exemplify class and grace and mm. you have done it. Mm-hmm. And I said this line, I said, you have shown me the beauty of redemption. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a theme in my life that I'm seeing over and over are mm-hmm. these scenarios that I never thought could be redeemed are being redeemed. And it's something mm-hmm. as small as, as that, but mm-hmm. it, it hurt me. And it cause truly mm-hmm. who I am in this world, mm-hmm. this is not an act. It's not a costume. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so feeling like it, it was, it was taken advantage of and it was less than mm-hmm. for someone. Um, so anyway, I just, I feel like, finding out who you are and living into that fully mm-hmm. professionally in your dress mm-hmm. in your personal life is so so important yeah it makes a huge difference for sure mm-hmm. yep thanks so much amy for sharing your story with us you are dynamic multi-talented and offer so much to the world it's a real joy to be your friend and watch you live into your calling y'all around Nashville over the next few weeks, Amy is preaching at the church at the Lipstick Lounge on April 1st, which is Easter Sunday and the third Sunday of Easter, April 15th. And you can find her on social media at amyviolet.co and her website, amyviolet.com. Also, for those of you who are on spring break near Colorado, I'll be preaching at St. John the Baptist Episcopal Church in Breckenridge on Wednesday, March 21st. Have a great week, y'all, and join us next week to hear all about Amy's church at the Lipstick Lounge and our conversation about what church means and what church looks like in our fast-paced millennial lifestyles. Peace.